Welcome to Amazon Made Simple podcast with Isabella Reitz. In this episode, we're uncovering the inspiring journey of one jobless, self-proclaimed nerd who transformed his business into an enterprise-level success. Despite his risk-averse personality, he found the determination and innovation necessary to overcome his fears and achieve greatness. Join us as we explore his unique path from unemployment to becoming the owner of an incredibly successful business. Hello, everyone, and Isabella Ritza with Amazon Made Simple Podcast. Today, I have a very special guest who is not a risk taker, but he's owning a pretty big company that's been growing lately, and uh, he doesn't have just one star review. He has only five stars. He's presence in the space is huge. Everyone is talking about his services when we are talking about growing on Shopify or doing some type of SEO, uh, SEO for our websites. So welcome, David Abraham, to my podcast and let's jump into it. Thank you, Isabella. Thank you for having me. Yeah, of course. Thank you for being here. I know you are not... Uh, in a huge presence just because you're like somewhere in the shadow a little bit, but we want you to hear and we want to hear your story. Uh, behind every single business is a personality and behind every single business is a story. And as you shared with me prior to the podcast, your story is amazing, especially as I mentioned just now, you are not a risk taker person, which is not going along with the growing business but they're growing something huge and big in the industry so please share with us how this business happened and uh, who were you before this business where you've been at and uh, what puzzles came together that put you in the spot of the business owner that is uh, growing his company with a very high speed right now sure so, I mean, growing up, like I mentioned, definitely not a risk taker at all. I was kind of a shy kid growing up, kind of just in the background, keeping my head low, playing it safe. Got good grades in school, very, very simple. And, you know, went to college thinking, okay, you know, I'm going to get a degree in programming. Always liked computers also kind of lined up with me not being a risk taker because a lot of people in my life were in sales and, you know, very aggressive positions. And I just was not that type of person. You know, I didn't like relying on others for business. I felt like computers just relied on my own skill, you know, that I just, I know something it's black and white. It's no gray area, very easy, very simple. At least in my head it was. So when I started going to college and I was, um, well, in my freshman year, I met my now wife and we were dating throughout uh, my years of college. And once I kind of hit my senior year, I felt like I was ready to um, propose to my wife and get married. And when I was living with my parents, my parents were very adamant about just, you have to wait till you're closer to graduation. You have to wait till you have something safe set up for yourself and once all those pieces align then you can propose and then move forward with your plans and i felt like it was a fair request you know i was um, very excited to get started and to really move forward but you know i got it and i had a friend of mine that set up an internship for me in new york 
Um, I was living in the uh, New Jersey at the time, and I was pretty much commuting about an hour and a half, three times a week to go to the city for this internship. And I was interning as a web developer. And throughout the entire year, they were essentially promising me that, you know, we're going to have a position for you once you graduate. We want you to be a head developer. You're going to have a full salary right out the gate. Pretty much everything a graduating college kid who wants to get married wants to hear. You know, I felt like my path was set. And uh, I'm closer to graduation time, maybe about uh, four months before graduation. I'm getting ready to put the plan in place. I went ahead. I proposed to my wife. Had everybody on board. Thought I had it set. She said, and, yes, both of you got excited. Oh, yeah, probably one of the biggest risks I've taken. <laughs> but, um, yeah, you know, we're both very excited. We both thought we were in a great position. And come about three or four months before I'm supposed to graduate, all of a sudden the company I'm interning for comes to me and says, look, we needed somebody sooner. Um, you know, it's kind of unprecedented, but, you know, we needed, we gave away your position. And, you know, we're sorry to say that we can't use you after graduation. And all of a sudden the panic sets in, you know, because me, I am a planner. I need to have everything structured, settled down. And all of a sudden this big event comes, disrupts all my plans. And I'm going full panic mode and I don't know what to do. And... You know, I started trying to reassure myself and I'm like, look, I'm graduating in a field that's very in demand. I'm going to be a programmer. Everyone's telling me my whole life, everyone wants a programmer. Tech is evolving. The, you know, the sector is huge. Everybody's going to want you. And come graduation, graduated, got my degree, started hitting the job market. And for months, just applying, applying and nothing, nothing coming. And essentially what I'm seeing is that my time in college, I developed a certain skill set of coding that didn't line up with what anybody needed. Everyone was building certain types of websites, certain types of programs, and the languages that I knew didn't align with, you know, what everybody else needed. With the market requirements. Oh, yeah. You know, they're either different. There's so many languages under the sun and everybody wants their own set because everyone's building certain types of programs. Nobody wants what I do. And, you know, all of a sudden the panic starts coming back again. And yeah. At first, because you spent how many, four or five years to learn something. And then the, at the end of the day, it's not useful. Yeah. You know, like that's the whole point. You go to college to get a job, to have a future. And you feel like it's right out the gate that there's no future that, you know, you get worried. And, you know, that's why I'm very thankful for, the people I had around me, the support system that I had, because, you know, I got approached by uh, my father and my brothers who, you know, said that maybe this might be a good opportunity for you to start your own thing. And immediately I was just like, no, because it's just, I don't, I'm not, like I said, I'm not a risk taker. I don't want the responsibility to make or break a business. I don't want to, you know, feel like if I fail, everything's on me. I wanted to work for somebody else where I have a set salary and I had benefits. And I, and if anything happened to the company, I could just pick up and go to another company that, you know, it doesn't just all fall on me. So it was like an immediate no. And, you know, after some time thinking about it, a lot of convincing, you know, my family came to me and said, look, you know, we have 
three individual businesses. We, we, we will be your first clients and we will help get you through the first year, you know, while you try and turn this into something, you know, you will build our websites, you will help our marketing, you will help us do our marketing and, you know, you will do this while you try and find something else or you try and build it up, see where it goes. But the idea was that it was essentially going to be a temporary setup. You know, it wasn't supposed to be something substantial. And this story took place about six years ago. And six years later, Blue Soft Design is still growing and developing. And, you know, is a juggernaut in the Shopify and Google space, still helping brands develop. And, you know, now we've worked with over 100 different websites and over 30 different industries. And, we, you know, re- I really learned to love what I do, you know, to be an expert at what I do. And to be a lot more confident in my skills as, you know, a a businessman, as a business owner, and to try and, you know, help others that were in my position when I started out. This story is amazing. I had the goosebumps a couple times. (laughs) A couple questions here. So given everything you, you told me, I feel that you're quite a nerd. Yes, very much so. So I believe the websites you've been building, they've been uh, first, like in the first place, you probably put those websites supposed to be perfect. The SEO supposed to be perfect. The language that they uh, coded supposed to be perfect. Also true. Yes, very much. I was, I am a very, I am a perfectionist, or at least I try to be. So the moment you build those websites for your parents, and I, and first of all, I want to say for myself, thank to your parents because family is a fort and it's, it's a great example when you're growing up and your parents can support you no matter what, even help you to go not just the right direction, but also be your, become your first clients. And the moment you've been already feeling like, okay, I'm almost done with parents' websites, how your business started developing after that? Uh, did you hire salesmen? Uh, was it like word to mouth? Uh, they started recommend you to somebody. How your business become as a business and you started growing? Like where this uh, link started, like well, be- became a chain. Right. So really early on, it was just all word of mouth. It was doing, uh, you know, I'm part of a uh, community. I grew up in a community that's very tight knit. A lot of people know each other. A lot of people talk. And, you know, the first couple of projects were very much just word of mouth. I mentioned to a friend of mine, I mentioned to somebody and, you know, this guy tells that guy. And then all of a sudden it's like, oh, I need a cheap website. I need a cheap developer. Because usually when you're starting out, you're charging cheaper prices. People know the project is not a 20 grand website custom made things like that but you try and really show that you know what you're doing you know really early on and my first couple of projects i was very meticulous i did all the work myself i you know i uh, was very careful in setting everything up spent a lot of man hours on it but um you know once those launched words start to spread a little bit it's it's a very it's a slow buildup 
It all has to do with your reputation. It all has to do with who you know and getting out there. And, um, you know, a lot of it was word of mouth in the beginning. But, um, you know, it's all I've learned over time and I'm still learning, you know, as far as like people getting to know me and come to me. I literally just spoke with somebody yesterday who um, I met as part of the ASGTG group. And, um, you know, he's been doing we're in similar fields. He's in more involved in the social media space, but he's got an additional five years on me for how long he's been doing this. And he's telling me also, you know, we're all still trying to figure it out that there's no one clear cut solution, you know, to just getting discovered and people finding you. So it's just putting good work out there, really being, you know, really putting love into what you do and care into what you do and just trying a bunch of different avenues. I believe that people find me because of all the things that I've, you know, started doing in recent years, going to trade shows and posting on LinkedIn and trying to do a little bit of paid advertising and do referral programs and word of mouth. It all, you know, comes together at the end of the day and it all just continues to build on itself. What is your main goal uh, when you're building your business? So is it something to achieve financially? Is it the results that you're achieving to people? Uh, do you want to be loved by everyone in the space? Uh, what is the number one and how they support each other? Because I believe everything I just mentioned, they kind of come up together. Well, for me, my goal is to really build out these enterprise level complex stores that accomplish a lot and really develop a strong name for ourselves. You know, like the, as the years go on, the projects become more complex. The offering becomes, you know, more developed. You know, we, when the first year or two started, it was only informational sites because they were simple. They were WordPress sites and then as the years went on, then we started, you know, mainly focusing on e-commerce sites. Those were a little more complex, a little more straightforward. And originally they were templated, uh, you know, website designs. Now they're custom designs. And every year we try and add more to the offering, you know, more in-depth projects, more deliverables. So really my goal is to work our way up to those enterprise level sites, those enterprise level clients, you know, focus more on quality over quantity and, you know, really show people that find us that, you know, we are experts in what we do. We know what we're talking about and really nicheify ourselves. Like I want people to think of blue soft design. I want it to be synonymous with Shopify and synonymous with Google. That's what people think about when they think about blue soft design. And, you know, I, I, I really believe that we will get there. You know, with the rate and the way that things are going, I really think we'll get there. I'm sure you will. And when you're saying you're building like Shopify websites, right? And uh, at the same time, you want enterprise. Enterprise means uh, those stores are retail. They've been retail stores, maybe, or they're selling on Amazon. Uh, they have a lot of SKUs or you just want to make it more complex uh, with the approach of the Shopify. Like what is enterprise here? The size of the company because they have a lot of uh, SKUs or something else because uh, 
I don't know, maybe like 15 years ago, I was only in my web development company. Of course, it was like very, very long time ago. And uh, coding was different, approach was different. But anyway, uh, we've been, we've also been building websites and the goal was that this, it's very readable. Um, you can very easy to index on Google, on like Yandex because it wasn't back in Russia and everyone can find you. People will be easily converted because like you ha- you're chasing the conversion rate on your website. You have trigger, bullet points, everything, right? So what is enterprise in uh, your case? So, at least as far as I see it, an enterprise level site is a high end site with a lot of custom integrations, you know, integrations that are, that don't come out of the box for Shopify, integrating with ERP systems, integrating with shipping systems, um, you know, stores um, that, uh, you know, they're headless e commerce stores. Um, I'm not sure. Sh- I'm not sure if you've heard that term. It's a kind of uh, a new idea that's going around, but um, it's the idea that your buying experience can be extended to a bunch of different areas, but they all sync back to one place. So for example, you have a brand, you have a store, you can sell in a bunch of different ways nowadays. You can sell on your website. You can sell from an app. You can, you know, a lot of, and there are other technologies like, smart TVs and smart mirrors and all these different and POS systems and all these different touch points where people can interact with your brand. So it's creating these, you know, um, very, you know, uh, custom made stores, um, customized experiences based off of geolocations, you know, the experience for someone in Russia, someone in India, someone uh, in the Middle East might be different than someone in the U.S. So, um, you know, when you have uh, the physical retail experience and that's marketing for all these stores and managing inventory, there's there's so many things that can be involved with an enterprise-level store. And we want to be able to manage all parts of that store for a client. We want to build them out and we want to manage and, you know, grow these stores Um and take those brands to the next level. So generally speaking, if I understand you correctly, it's the website that have the integrations of all different other platforms with the shipping as well, with the social media, with like probably buy with Prime. Everything comes together on one platform so you don't have to go anywhere and everything uh, working probably through API and some type of integration, correct? Exactly. Shopify can act as that backend where everything syncs into the Shopify backend, but all the orders can be coming from a bunch of different places. And we, if we're talking about sellers that are selling on Amazon, when you do this integration with Shopify, do you use Buy With Prime integration there or you use something else? So um, there, it's, it depends on the situation and there's a little bit of each. Um, you know, because buy with prime is great. We are a buy with prime partner. Um, you know, we love the Amazon space. We love working with Amazon. We've set up a handful of stores that have been using the integration, um, buy with prime comes with some additional features, but it is also, you know, an option. Some people are offering, you know, fulfillment through Amazon or fulfillment through their website. Um, whereas, you know, some people require, um, 
all fulfillments to go through Amazon. So sometimes we, a lot of times we will suggest buy with Prime. Um, in the past, we've suggested software like Listing Mirror uh, for a lot of our clients because they can also route orders from um, Shopify to Amazon. Um, I did see recently that Shopify announced that there is a an official Amazon integration with Shopify. I don't know too much about the official integration. We're going to be looking into it a little bit more and playing around with it. But usually our suggestions are usually between listing mirror or, um, you know, the buy with prime program. Okay. Sounds good. What is the, uh, ideal client for you? So the client that are selling on Amazon or the client that is starting selling on Amazon and has some, something going on off Amazon, like who are your clients? So we've been focusing a lot on the Amazon space. Um, you know, we really love those guys that have really established themselves well on Amazon that are looking to branch out into other marketplaces. Um, you know, when it comes down, when someone's just getting started and they're going to, you know, ask me, should I start a Shopify store or should I start an Amazon store? About even though there are certain exemptions, 95% of the time, I'm going to say start on Amazon. Amazon has the the traffic and the volume right out the gate um, to, you know, get you started, get you off the ground with the right people and the right setup. But when you're looking to establish a brand, when you want that brand recognition and you have just the, you know, the sales from Amazon and you're looking to go just beyond that, that's who I want to take from Shopify and beyond because there's so much value for your brand and so much control for your brand on Shopify. It's very hard in Amazon's current setup and current climate to really get that brand recognition that you need. I mean, you'll find people debating this all over the place. I know you're very vested in the Amazon space as well. You might take a totally different approach than I do. Um, it might be because I'm vested in the Shopify space, but I can't remember the last time I bought a random product on Amazon and remembered the brand name that I bought, you know, like Correct. that you, in, in my head, you need a website to differentiate yourself from the rest, a space that completely revolves around you and your brand. And the really one of the benefits to a Shopify store is, you know, like compared to like uh, Amazon, when you're getting sales on Amazon, you're, you're getting sales. On Shopify, you're getting customers. You retain that information. You use that information in a bunch of different ways to upsell customers, uh, retain your audience with rewards programs, email marketing, retargeted marketing. And there's a lot of value in having that home base and having that control. Oh. I totally agree with you, especially regarding brand uh, stories and uh, building the brand, because uh, you're absolutely correct about, I bought a product I don't remember from home uh, on Amazon. And of course, if you are actually looking for the brand, then you put the brand name in the beginning or at the end of your keyword, and then you're looking for the brand. But most of the times people are trying to find something affordable on Amazon, <laughs> unless they're looking for the, again, for the brand. And um uh, when you are saying your company is helping with the social media and everything in the one spot, 
So what exactly do you do with the social media and how social media is uh, complementing the web, the enterprise size websites that you guys are building? Uh, again, maybe uh, I don't know something and uh, maybe you guys working with uh, Facebook and uh, Instagram stores or maybe it's just brand support such as reels and uh, pages and uh, involving more audience based on the Shopify experience. Like, just tell me more. So our focus is more on the Google side of things. You know, social media definitely plays a big part, but really our focus is to get new customers you know when you're doing when you're in the marketing space there's really two approaches that you can take you can focus on new customer acquisition you know getting people who have never found you before never heard of your brand to find you for the first time and discover you or you can focus on customer retention brand building you know which is getting the people who already know you to you know repurchase from you and build that brand loyalty so Really early on, before we really niched down into what we're good at, you know, we tried a bunch of different things, social media being one of them. And social media, I feel like really does have its place in the in the marketing journey um, as far as establishing your brand and, um, you know, engaging with your audience. Um, it can also be great if you have a product that is very unique that you need to educate people on that doesn't have a lot of search volume. You can do ads based off of, uh, you know, um, interest-based targeting and things like that. But we never found social media being so great for direct consumer sales, especially from recent updates and, you know, the, the latest, um, the Apple cookies update that makes it very difficult to target customers. And, you know, that's why we've gravitated more towards the Google space and, Google is just essential for getting new customers to your store. It's usually the first stop in the marketing journey. You're not, uh, you're not gated by having an account. Anyone can access Google with a browser and you just have the intent behind Google. You know, if someone is, if you're selling shoes and someone's Googling a pair of shoes and your an ad comes up for your product someone's already looking to buy. They already have the intent behind them. Whereas like with something like social media, you're kind of working to convince somebody to buy. So an ideal marketing situation, at least for us, is when you're doing Google ads and SEO side by side. You know, they're two different audiences, two different sets of people, but growing your presence on Google is essential for any business to get discovered. And here was my next question. You almost answered it. Uh, when we are talking about Google and uh, Google Ads and Google SEO, so if SEO is not there yet, are you going with the Google shopping experience or like what approach do you use with the ads? Because again, if you're not indexed yet and you're not hand-to-hand on a page one, uh, Google ads are pretty expensive. So if it's like, let's say step one for the seller that just built up the Shopify with you, <clears throat> Shopify website, uh, where they're looking at, like uh, what is the step one and how fast they can achieve uh, this hand-by-hand uh, approach with the indexing and shopping experience at the same time? 
I was going to say that, um, you know, Google ads, I will tell you, um, is not always a great fit for everybody. And the first thing that, um, you know, I do when someone comes in to ask us about Google ads is I try and qualify them first. You know, I try and make sure, you know, if they're doing Google ads, they're at a certain price point that they're getting a certain average order value on their stores. Um, because when you're comparing like Google ads for a Shopify store versus Amazon, um, it's usually more expensive on the website side to get a sale than it is on the Amazon side. But again, that value is really in you're buying the customer, not just a sale, you know? So, um, anyone who's advertising on Google needs to see the value beyond just a one-time sale, but it can be hard to be profitable if you're not at a certain price point. If your average order value is $20, $30 and you're selling cheaper goods, Google ads might not be a good fit for you. The other thing we always recommend um, really early on is that you do some kind of um, organic brand development on your own, you know, before starting, if you can, because not everybody does. And in those cases, Google ads can be like a flip of a coin. You know, we try and put every customer we work with in the best position that they can be when they're starting out. Um, you know, before any campaign that we run, we do a CRO audit of the site, stands for conversion rate optimization. And we make sure that the site is in a position to sell once we get customers in the door. And uh, we try to keep the budgets minimal enough for them to perform, but not so that it's so overwhelming really early on. But Google ads can be very tough depending on the industry, depending on what you sell. It, you know, a cost, it can fail for a number of different reasons. It could be you're selling a seasonal product. Maybe you're being beat out in pricing versus a competitor. Maybe you're, you got a negative review. You know, it can be very tough on in the PPC side. So you need to be a very particular customer to warrant Google ads. Otherwise, the other option, if you're not in a position to do Google ads, SEO is a different type of model than PPC and would work out as alternative if you couldn't do PPC. You know, the difference really being that PPC is great when you're in a position to do it because it usually means immediate sales within one to three months, but it can get very expensive over time as you're trying to scale up, as you raise your budgets, you want to make more. And on the opposite end, SEO is great because, um, you know, it's a fixed rate for late. It's all labor-based. You know, so the costs stay fixed and your traffic and your sales are going up every month, but it takes time to really get over the hump. It takes about six to nine months to really see the full-fledged result of the returns. So each one has its pluses and minuses, and it all comes down to where the customer is in their journey when they come to us looking for advertising. Usually we'll start with the Google ad side, you know, because a lot of them are looking for that immediate revenue to invest in other parts of the business. Um, but again, it all depends. Sounds good. Uh, here's two questions. So uh, you're saying with the small price, it's not the good way to go on Google ads. And I assume if uh, we're looking at the LTV of the client and someone is selling uh, sub product for sub with subscription, then it does make sense because genuinely speaking, even if you're selling for like uh, your cost of acquisition will be 20 or $30, uh, you're getting a customer. 
and right. then eventually uh, you'll be in profit. You're absolutely correct here. So what if someone is selling just not repeated uh, product in sales? So what is your uh, best recommendation uh, of the market price if people want to jump into the Google Ads immediately? Yeah, well, my so my previous comments, you know, because I wasn't um, thinking so much of the subscription side because that's an example, again, lifetime value, very different for a one-time cost acquisition. So it's a little bit of a different thought process there. Definitely right. Um, usually the, you know, at least for us, you know, we'd be looking for about a 50 or $60 average order value when going into Google ads, um, you know, just for it to make sense dollar and cents wise. A lot of times, you know, if we run that CRO audit, um, you know, uh, we can, if someone's like right on the threshold, you know, they get like $40, $50 per average order. Sometimes we could do a couple things that will help drive that average order value up. Um, you know, maybe, uh, things like upsells and cross sells or offering free shipping at certain price points, you know, that helps get the average order value up, but just making sure that you, you have, uh, you know, a decent average order value. And just trying to get, you know, some natural organic brand building, you know, whatever you can as early on as you can will help whatever natural reviews you can get on Google, whatever, you know, pro you know, if you can get one or two product reviews, just whatever, whatever you can do to instill confidence in whoever's coming to your store is going to be essential because early on before you have a brand and you're trying to establish yourself as a brand it's all about trust. You know, we can get people in the door. We can't force them to buy. So you need to, you know, it's because Google ads is not just a magic formula. You just turn it on and it works. You know, it takes some work on the business owner side also to really try and push their product on their end and try and get their name out there on both ends. And then it ends up coming together. You know, the ones that are not successful by us are the ones that just throw their side at us and just say, here you go, do what you want with it. And, you know, those guys end up failing because they don't care about their brand and they don't care about their product. They just want to pay to play, but it doesn't always work like that. Yeah, you have to be patient. I agree with you. Right. I'm not really patient, but I have to be because I want to be in the game. <laughs> uh, <clears throat> so here's another question. When... Um, People are launching their business uh, online, let's say e-commerce, right? So, and some of them want to rely on SEO. The myth of uh, expensive PPC advertisement, call it whatever you want, like people approach it differently, with different terminology, is still there that a lot of believers that the best sales are happening uh, only when you have organic sales. And sometimes you cannot break this uh, mentality. You cannot uh, explain that you have to have both. And you're absolutely correct. Like the SEO takes six to nine months. Would you recommend something like if you want to go with organic sales via Google <clears throat> to launch uh, or to start working on a SEO for your website while your product is in development and production? So to list everything and start working on your website, on your indexing via Google, and to calculate your timeline, 
with the purpose like when your product will be live, when it will be in a warehouse here in the United States or where the, uh, the marketplace people are selling the country, uh, everything will be ready and the website will be ready to launch because it's already indexed and uh, it already has traffic thoughts. Right. So, I mean, I definitely agree with that approach. I mean, like you said, SEO does take time. And if you're making those calculations, you're just, you're building up hype. You know, it's the same kind of idea like movies getting trailers and releasing trailers before the film is released. You know, same with video game development. You know, you can definitely start working on building your brand and building your presence about, a you know, around the product that is delivered, you know, that is getting ready to be launched. And the earlier that you can start, the better. You know, PPC and SEO work with each other hand in hand. The best case scenarios are those that can afford to do both side by side. And the organic side definitely does take time. It takes a lot of work, a lot of labor, a lot of content. And the earlier that you can start, the better. And if you start building that organic traffic really early on, you'll be in a great position once that product is ready to launch. And even in the meantime, you could take waitlisted products, you could take back order products, you can take, uh, you know, back orders and you know, get people signed up for newsletters, you know, you, you don't need to, well, just because you're building up that audience from early on, you know, it's, it's also not like at the end of six, seven months, you know, you're not going to get any traffic. And then all of a sudden it's gonna, you know, turn into thousands of visitors by the end of month seven, you know, you're going to be seeing visitors and people are going to be coming up month to month. You'll see it's slow incrementing increases and you don't want to just waste those visitors and waste that traffic, you know, while they're coming in and you can go and capture that data. You know, you get people to sign up for a newsletter and then all of a sudden you have product launch and you have a ton of people that all of a sudden you can blast out to, you know, it comes yeah, down you probably to strategy. Can say like go on a wish list and like go on a waiting list and subs like if you subscribe here, you will get the free product or something like discounted at one cent or so. It's, it's a lot of idea probably how you can convert them. And you're absolutely correct here that you don't want to waste the traffic that is coming. Uh, last question for you today. I know it's like a bunch of questions coming. Uh, what are the best, um, anchors and like trigger points that you would recommend people uh use on their websites not to let them leave because you're working so hard to get some someone in the door the moment they clicked on your website you want to keep them you want them to buy something the moment they want to click something i'm leaving this website you want to trigger and use some like no no, no stop you will stay here or like maybe you have some tricks that working very well for everyone. So for that customer retention, newsletters, definitely number one. Um, you know, a lot of times, pretty standard practices, sign up for our newsletter, get 10% off your first purchase, you know, and capture an email. Now you have one person in an email list. Um, you have automated um, live chat pop-ups, you know, engage the customer automatically. Hey, how can I help you? What are you looking at? Um, also, um, abandoned card emails are a very big one, you know, so you can set up a series of abandoned card emails, you know, maybe one person leaves the, you know, one person leaves the site and didn't check out. You send them an email with a coupon code. 
uh, they finish checking out, you send them a coupon code for them to towards their next purchase to come back again. Um, you know, if, uh, you know, it's been a while and someone hasn't engaged in the site, you send them another code and setting up a series of codes can incentivize someone to come back as well as just uh, rewards programs. You know, there's an app out there that's a great one for the Shopify space. It's plug and play. It's awesome. It's called smile.io and it gives you a lot of amazing features right out the gate for free and essentially lets you set up your own rewards program um, where people come in, they buy, they get points. You can quantify the points however you want, set the redemptions for whatever you want, and you kind of gamify it. You know, you're, you're getting people vested. You're always giving them value. You don't want them to feel like the second they finish their purchase and they got what they want, the value's gone. You know, as long as a customer always feels like they're getting value out of your site, whether it's content that you're giving, promotions, discounts, rewards, and you're offering a good product with a good business behind it, they will come back. All these golden nuggets are here. I love it. So, and at the end of uh, our podcast, and thank you for answering all these questions, uh, please tell us who is your ideal client, like who you want to invite into your business. So I would say that my ideal client is someone who is either, usually they're an established business, probably somewhere between 500K and 10 million a year, that is either now, who, who is more of a seasoned business that's now looking to come into the digital age, or an example like an Amazon customer who is, all in one area that's looking to, you know, was established business that's looking to expand into other marketplaces and kind of build their website as their home base. So those would kind of be two examples of our ideal client. Perfect. So you're working with the big guys. <laughs> and we're trying to be. Yeah, of course. You're a big guy. You want to be surrounded by the same, uh, same height of people. We'll Absolutely. Say like that. Yeah. And um, as I recently started asking people at the end of the podcast, uh, if it would be only one thing that you will be able to do at the end of, till the end of your life, what that would be. Ooh. One thing to do at the, by the, <laughs> that was the end. Honestly, I think just spending time with my family, you know, just spending time with my wife and my daughter and just hanging out with them till the end. Love it. Well, guys, uh, you heard the amazing story of David Abraham and uh, how he, he was facing the situation where he probably will not be able to have a great wedding, uh, no business, no job, nothing. And right now he's uh, looking for only big guys, big clients working with the enterprise size, uh, knowing all this nerdness that he'd been learning at his college and university. And again, it's a great example, but no matter how much you're Come how many times and how many years you're going to college at the end of the day you're the owner of your personal life so the life is in your hands and david thank you for being here today with us amazon made simple podcast and isabella reads
Thank you for having me, Isabella.